Hey, I'm Jamie, I'm pastor of the St. Paul campus, and I got a message for you that I think you're gonna like. I think it's gonna help you. Uh, it's still tied into our way of escape series that my grandfather's been doing. And if we could turn to Exodus chapter 32. I have an agenda today. I'm just gonna tell you up front. My agenda is that God would get bigger to you. That's, that's literally it. I think in church sometimes this God can become so familiar to us. And I think if we were to take a poll on all these different vocations and jobs that we have in this room, if we were to create a forum, I think a lot of us would agree none of us find as many experts in our field as many claim to be experts in the church. I've never found so many, so many experts, as many as I find in the church, Was it, which is just, think about how ironic that is. We are talking about the biggest, we're talking about everything. We are talking about the biggest, like every piece of language I can give you today is nothing better than metaphor. God doesn't even need language to communicate which is why he gave us tongues, by the way, to prove he doesn't need words that you can understand to communicate to you. But the, the reason we even have a Bible is an act of grace because God does not have to speak our language. God could just speak music. God could just speak through creation. The Bible says that the creation is the word of God. God could speak through Many different avenues, but he meets humanity at its level. And I just want to remind you why you can feel safe at church today is because the God I'm talking about will meet each person, even though we are in different places on our journey, it will meet each person exactly where you are. In your doubts, in your Maybe, maybe you're watching online and you're like, this whole thing is a fake and a fraud. I'm just here because my friend offered me buffalo wings if I watch it. Like, I'm talking about a God who will meet you right there with you and your buffalo wings. Like, I'm talking about that kind of God who meets you right where you're at. And so today, essentially, I'm going to try to... I'm going to try to come right for the throat of the saying, this is how it's always been. I'm just gonna let you know I'm gonna come right for that, <laughs> aggressively. And I'm gonna do it because I love you and I love this family. But just a reminder, the word disciple means student. Meaning the second you consider yourself a master, you will stop growing. Y'all are quiet and you'll probably stay quiet and that's fine. The second, the second you consider yourself a master, the second you start to say things like, I've got this pretty figured out, you've stopped. You've stopped growing. The word disciple, which is what we all are, a follower of Jesus, it means you will your whole life be a student. The second we stop learning, the second we start boxing a moment, is the second we really lose out on every new thing that God is doing. So I want to open up in Exodus 32. This is a pretty whacked out story. It's pretty weird. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, so Moses has just gone up to speak with this God who you can tell they have a very uncomfortable relationship with. You can tell they don't feel comfortable, these people. They tell God, essentially what's gonna happen is they're going to go through a marriage ceremony. That's what this whole giving of the law is. God, all throughout the narrative of Scripture, is looking for a people that can be his own, which is why he chose Abraham. He wants a covenant people that will be his people, which is what you are today. But you can tell, and God runs into this problem over and over and over again, is that he keeps running into people that he wants to make covenant with, but these people are always some really messed up people. Like, we're about to see these people are not, probably not even people we'd let in our churches. 
When the people saw that Moses delayed, so he's up talking to God about the place that God and his people will live together in something called the tabernacle. So literally, his people and him are going to move in together. This is a marriage ceremony. But when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered together themselves to Aaron, the spiritual leader, other than Moses, and said to him, get up. Let us make gods who shall go before us, which God had been doing this whole time. As for this Moses, they're about to give his eulogy. They think he died. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, verse 2, we do not know what has become of him. You got to read this slow because this whole story is just so great. There's so much real people, like just real humanity involved in this. So... These people, by the way, when God called Moses, when he said he wanted to talk to his people, he didn't just invite Moses. He invited all of the people. But we start to see a pattern in the way that humanity works that we will usually choose a secondhand experience with God over a firsthand experience. We rather rely on the experience of a pastor than the experience of ourselves. Y'all are going to stay so quiet on me today, and that's just it's fine. That's fine. It is humanity's pattern. I rather someone speak to God for me. So they choose. I, by the way, can I just remind you, this is not a church that was built for you to spiritually rely on the pastor. Get, pastor Mac. Imagine he's standing here. I can guarantee you he would agree with me in saying he did not build this so that everyone could spiritually rely on his experience. That if this is a healthy church, we will be people who take our spirituality in our relationship with God and take ownership of that ourselves. You don't need me. You don't need Pastor Mac to be that mediator for you because you have a Jesus who now mediates to the Father for you so you can go to this God boldly. And again, not to take away from the importance of the fivefold, but that doesn't mean the fivefold's meant to be worshiped. The fivefold's not a king, it's a parent. And that being said, with that, I pray for every single person in this room that you would take an ownership. In 2020, nothing else is gonna work. Like, I think we all got exposed to that. You can't rely on anybody else for this, but there's got to be an ownership with your walk with this Jesus. And so God invites all of the people, but they're like, Moses, go talk for us. Because there's a thundercloud, and it just, there's just a lot happening right now. But verse 2, Moses hasn't come down, so we think he died. Verse 2. So Aaron, the high priest Aaron says to them, take off your rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me, verse three. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron, verse four. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. By the way, these rings of gold What's happening in the place they can't see is God is actually talking to Moses about how the same thing they're about to use as a tool to fashion a God in their own image, that same material was supposed to be used to build the house of God. This same gold that they're about to use to build this idol was actually the gold that was designed to be used for the house of God. And we're going to put this all together in a second. And they made a golden calf, and they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. This is where, and back up to verse 4. This is where it gets really, really hard-hitting. Because if any of you have a literal shemosh, which Hebrew, uh, the literal Hebrew book of Exodus, it doesn't say these are your gods, It says, this is your God. It says, this is Yahweh. 
This is Yahweh, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. What did God call himself all the way through? Yahweh who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. So it takes a whole nother narrative on this story now because for a long time I used to think that they were saying, see, we don't understand this God, so we're gonna worship a different one. No, what they're doing is because this God is so big and ununderstandable, we will take something we do understand, we will compartmentalize it, and we will worship this God and call it Yahweh. So the essence of this story is that it is the pattern of human beings. Whenever you recognize how uncontrollable and big this God is, you will dumb God down box him and form him into something you do understand. And you will box it to something and create something that was meant to be mastered by you, but now you worship it. Is it any coincidence that the gold was supposed to be used to build the tabernacle? And what was supposed to be sacrificed at the tabernacle? Animals. Why didn't they make a human? Because when you come to a place where you say something like, no, I got this figured out. No, I feel like I, pretty, I got a good, pretty good handle on scripture. I got a pretty good handle on, you know what? I, th I feel like it's pretty clear. And you start saying things like that. All that you're going to end up doing is forming something. Forming something out of a tool that you were meant to master over, now it ends up mastering you. Have you ever wondered why God carries all the same political beliefs as us? <laughs> Have you ever wondered why, wait a minute, why does God act and live and look the exact same as me? Like, of course we made Jesus white, right? Of course. Because it's understandable, I can compartmentalize whatever I don't understand. I will box and make something understandable the second I feel like it's too big for me. And the problem with that is the only time Jesus ever finds himself unable to do a mighty work is when they boxed him to something that they could understand. They say, we know him. I'm gonna try to blow every box around God that you've got today. I'm just gonna smash it. I'm, I'm tired, I'm tired of running into people outside of the church who, who carry not very much, no affiliation to a church body and yet God, they have a bigger perspective of God than someone sitting in the pew. I'm tired of running into people outside of a church family that are more loving, less judgmental, more able to look and live like Jesus than someone who sits in a pew Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. Why is that? We're too familiar with this God who we claim to know everything about. This is too big. That's all I'm saying. All I'm saying is who we're gathered here for today is way too big for our boxes. This is really, 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 really big. But you can, after every Sunday, you hear sermon, and even there's a possibility you hear this sermon and you go home and you say, man, those were some good one-liners and that was a good concept and a good theory and whatnot like that. I'm praying that you experience, though, that you experience a God who is so, who is everything. How, how can Paul say something like, I pray that with all the saints, you'd be able to comprehend, comprehend, keyword, comprehend, like just comprehend with all the saints, with the breadth, length, depth, and height, and to know the love of Jesus that surpasses what? Knowing? Yeah, knowledge. How do you know something that's unknowable? Our whole life, we'll go deeper in this, but we're only going layer by layer, baby. That's all this is. Layer, layer, 
layer, but we will spend our whole lives just scratching the surface of who this God is. And see, what happens in this story, though, you're about to see a God. Gives me chills when I read this. Because this God is very emotional. He, he acts very human-like here. Watch this. This is verse 5. I'm going to continue through it. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar again. <laughs> Aaron. <laughs> what is he doing, man? Aaron, Aaron saw this. He built an altar. And Aaron made a proclamation. Aaron's kind of living in this. You can kind of tell. Like, Moses is gone. He made a proclamation and said, tomorrow we shall be a feast to Yahweh. Like, okay, all right, Aaron, okay. Verse six. And they rose up early the next day. They offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That word play carries sexual connotations, meaning they probably had an orgy. We can't say that for sure. But again, just to remind you, these are like not spiritually looking people. So they're watching a thundercloud. They just had the Red Sea split, okay? Like not many chapters back. There's a thundercloud over the mountain where their leader has disappeared, where a God's voice came from the mountain, told them all to come up. They said, that's uncomfortable. Let's make a golden cow. Get your earrings. Let's make this. Then let's have an orgy. What? What's going on? Verse seven. And the Lord said to Moses, so immediately, this, Moses doesn't know what happened. But this God, Yahweh, you can almost hear his tone switch. And this gives me chills. You can tell he's been hurt. Like you can tell something hurt this God. Go down for your people. <laughs> Hear that? Your kids. Married people. Your kid. You can. Whom you. Do you hear this language? Go down. Your people who you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. He's like hurt. Moses is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, like, what, what are you talking about? Like, what's happened? Verse 8. They've turned aside quickly out of the way I commanded them. They've made for themselves a golden calf and have worshiped it and sacrificed it and said, these are your gods. This is your Yahweh, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Verse nine, I mean, God's like venting. Isn't it sad we suppress emotions in church? Isn't that sad? Isn't that sad? We'll, we'll, preach, we'll preach under the name of faith for you to neglect your emotions. Uh, what if Moses had said, hey, hold on, God, faith over feelings. <laughs> hey, hold on. <laughs> I just want to remind you, your God is an emotional God, and for you to neglect your emotions is for you to neglect a part of you that was made in the image of God. So for you to bury your emotions and for you to bury your feelings, you are neglecting a part of your purpose and a part of your being. And don't be surprised if that spreads into certain things. If you're dealing with things in your body right now, I would, I would encourage you, check what emotions you haven't dealt with. Because some of us are literally dealing with some undead zombie armies because you buried this feeling of bitterness 24 years ago and you keep on burying it and burying it and burying it and burying it and now you wonder why you end up just snapping. You snap. Boom, just out of nowhere, you blow up. Because emotions look a lot different after you've buried them for a long time. They will always come back around, which is why stillness is so good, by the way, Stillness has been the best way for me to process my emotions because it helps me feel what I'm feeling and name what I'm feeling. That's a whole other thing. And the Lord said to Moses, I've seen this people and behold, it's a stiff-necked people. These are stubborn people, verse 10. I don't know why, this makes me love God more. Now therefore, leave me alone. What? <laughs> I love this God. I love this. 
He's so emotional. He just told Moses, leave me alone. Like he's literally being what some men in this room would call their wives when they feel like they're being sensitive. You're being sensitive. Leave me alone. Your kids who you brought up. I mean, she's like, this is nuts. The drama is just beautiful. That my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. Watch Moses. Moses is about to intercede on their behalf five times, by the way. Five is the number of grace. When God first called Moses on this same mountain, God had to reassure Moses five different times. Moses said, I can't do it. Five times, God gave him different promises five times. Now, Moses is going to intercede on their behalf five different times. Watch this, verse 11. And Moses implored the Lord his God and said, Oh Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you've brought out of the land of Egypt? Whom you? That's bold. Whom you? He must know something about this God that he has influence with him. He must know that there's something about this God, there's something about the character of the God we're talking about today that he, he kind of wants you to, he kind of wants you to argue with him sometimes. He kind of wants you to say, to, to, when he says reason, let us reason together. He wants such a relational basis. He wants such a, a real genuine relationship where he vents to Moses, says, your people, leave me alone. And then Moses says, hey, hey, you brought him up. You brought him up. I just wanna remind you that this God, you have influence with this God. And part of the reason you don't need a pastor or a priest or anything to speak for you is because this God loves you and such a, has such a heart for you. There's something about this God whom you are able to, to talk to him in a way where it's a literal conversation though. And I think we forget that the way we pray sometimes, where we pray these just like lofty. And meanwhile, God is... <laughs> He said, leave me alone. I just can't get over that. Literally said, leave me alone. Verse 12. Why should the Egyptians say, this is crazy what Moses does here. How he pulls this, this should tell us something about this, this God that we worship. It's like, it's just a lot more beautiful to me than sometimes what's presented at church. Sometimes it can seem so mechanical. But Moses is like, well, well, think of the Egyptians. I mean, the Egyptians are going to say something like, with evil intent, you brought them out of there to, you brought us out of there to kill us in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth. So turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. There's just so much happening here. And there's a lot more in this story. But all I want to do, just to close is I want us all to realize we will never become masters of what we're talking about. Our perspective of this can become so small. Sometimes I hear Christians talk this language. Why? Part of the reason why saying this is how it's always been is so bad you think of this story, and I'm going to start to close on this. Jesus, before he's crucified, has this crazy spiritual moment, crazy, where he takes his three closest disciples, his three closest students, Peter, James, and John, up to a mountain. And up until this time, Jesus, he's kind of veiled who he is to people. Like, you'll see him move away from crowds, People will try to make him king and he'll just like disappear. But now he lets all of his glory be shown and Elijah and Moses show up next to him. It's this crazy explosive moment. And Peter speaks so many of our languages in this room. And it's what a lot of us are literally saying when we say this is how it's always been. 
Peter sees this and he goes, oh my, oh, this is incredible. Wow, this is so much. Jesus, you know what we got to do? We got to make a booth. What? Jesus, we got to make a... We got to make a box over this. We got to build a building over this. We got to build a system. I'm going to prophesy to you right now. We got to build a, a system around this moment because this one moment that I'm experiencing, I'm only experiencing it because I'm completely present in it, by the way. But this moment is so explosive. We got to box this moment. And God says, no, this moment cannot be boxed. Some of us in this room have built boxes around moments in the past because God moved a certain way in 2006 and 1998 and 1985. God moved this way and this is how he moves. We gotta build a system. We gotta build a box around it. I need to tell you this because I love you. If you box God in that moment, you will die in that moment because God is no longer in that box. He cannot be contained in one moment and you will miss the new thing that God is doing now, which is why you have to. You cannot say things like this has always been. You will die there. You will die in the 90s. You will die in the place where that's how God moved then. And if he doesn't move that way, he's not showing up. No. You got to Experience the moments as they come because within each moment there is eternity in the now. Like seriously though, I know, that can sound like such a theory though. But seriously, literally, that's why silence is so crazy. If we all stayed silent for 30 minutes right now, you would feel yourself shift into like a completely different reality. Seriously. You would see that amidst all of our hurriedness and amidst all of our rushing and amidst all of our speed and our 2,400 ads on Instagram that we see a day, amidst all of our fast-paced life, there's a reason why Dallas Willard says that speed is the greatest enemy of the spiritual life today. Because you're so fast and none of us have time for people anymore. And we got so many things we got to do. But, it, but in order to access this flow, you have to Shabbat. Amen. Boom. Stop. You have to stop. Because this God that I'm presenting that we're talking about today. You have to stop. There's a reason why he says there's a promise of rest. You access this flow by stopping completely. You gotta stop. Stop hurrying, stop speeding, just be. The goal of the gospel is really for you to just be. I no longer have to prove myself to anyone in this room, and you don't either. By the way, this is how you figure out if a system came from the flesh or something came by the spirit, because if the essence of a system is do something in order to prove it, you can tell that it was built by self-effort. You have whole churches built on that. Seriously. Oh, you're a good Christian, prove it. But what stillness does is it brings me to a place where it reminds me, Jamie Hammond is everything that God says he is. And I don't have to prove that to God. I don't have to prove that to myself. I don't have to prove that to anyone. And you know what that builds? That builds confidence. When I slow down, you know what I notice? I'm able to see people better. I don't see you as a label anymore. As a matter of fact, part of the reason we're able, part of the reason why racism and compartmentalizing of people is so easy to do now, because we're so fast. When you slow down enough to see somebody, 
I can't just box you by your skin color or your political belief. You're a person. Even I noticed this with miracles too. I noticed this. A lot of it, and I experienced this a lot in a bus station because you kind of like, in a bus station, anything can happen. You'll just get a guy running at you just, ah, and he's just running at you and you gotta just like react really quick kind of thing. But you know what I noticed? When you experience that kind of thing, your heartbeat goes fast. In Jesus' name or something, you know, just like freak out. But there's something about Jesus. He's got a demon-possessed man running at him. Imagine that kind of confidence. And he stands there. And he sees this man. I want to say that the God I'm talking about today sees you. Like really sees you. Like sees you with all your pain, sees you with everything you've been through, sees things that no one else will ever acknowledge that you've been through. He sees it. And he says, come to me. Because I can handle all your pain. I can handle all of it. All your anger. Every single thing that you've got. And so you know what the connection to this is? You know what's insane? This is the story that Paul tells right before he starts talking about the way of escape. What? I didn't connect it last night. It was insane. I'm like, well, God, you told me to do this, but Grandpa was kind of like, hey, if you can get it to fit in the series, that'd be great. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> but I texted them this morning, and I was like, I, did, I didn't even catch this. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, or 1 Corinthians chapter 10, excuse me. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might desire evil as they did. And watch how you define evil right there, okay? Just do not be idolaters as some of them were as it was written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. He's talking to, this is crazy. Get ready to this. This is insane. Let's not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did and 23,000 fell in a single day. Verse nine. By the way, Moses went down. What's crazy is Moses goes down after that story. Moses is like, don't be angry with them. And then when Moses gets down, Moses flips. <laughs> he flipped. He flipped. He comes down and he goes, uh, what you stiff-necked people. This is when he prayed the Ten Commandments. And then he, he says, all of you that are recruited by the Lord, join me. And he, he gets the Levites and they all draw swords and Moses kills a bunch of the people. I mean, this is whack. This is crazy. The drama is just insane to me. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. That's another story in the Old Testament. Verse 10. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Verse 11. Watch the connection. This is, almost gives me chills. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the, the end of the ages have come. Verse 12. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest Anyone who thinks he's got this all figured out, just please don't do that. Take heed lest you fall the same way they did when they said, we have a, this is Yahweh, the God who looks like money, the God who looks exactly like us because I understand him like this. Therefore, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Verse 13. What? What is that? The thing the whole series is based on. No temptation. What? Temptations like he just referred to. No temptation is overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. By the way, that word endure, it can sound kind of weird because it's like, well, if it's a way of escape, well, I, why do I still have to endure it? But that word endure, before it, there's a Greek word ek, meaning out of, like literally an escape room out of it. 
So if it never made real sense to you why I'd be like, a way of escape that you'd be able to carry it. No, it's literally a way out of something. It's a breaking out of a past pattern or a breaking out of, the, of what you're experiencing right now. This is insane to me. Watch what he uses to battle these temptations. What he's about to connect with the way of escape is gonna be crazy. Verse 14. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. How? 15. I speak to sensible people. Judge yourselves what I say. 16. Communion? What? We're talking about communion now? We were just talking about a way of escape. We're talking about idolatry. We're talking about compartmentalizing God to something we can understand. And then he says, hey guys, do we not recognize what we're doing when we drink the cup and eat the bread? It almost makes me wonder, is this the way of escape? Is there something about eating a meal with fellow followers of Jesus that presents a way of escape? Is it not a participation in the blood of Jesus, the bread that we break? Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Verse 17, because there is one bread, but we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Racism would not exist in the church if we understood communion. You can hear all the sermons on racism you want, but can I tell you something? If you're not eating with someone who looks different than you, you're probably not going to really carry much, much proximity in your belief anyway. But can I tell you something about Ephesians? Can, can I just keep going here for a second? Ephesians, the entire theme of it is about God building a multi-ethnic family that we are brought in, that the Gentiles, the mystery hidden from the ages, the Gentiles, the non-Jewish people are now brought in with the Jewish people. And in Ephesus, you have this multi-ethnic church family and they're trying to figure out how to do life together. So the whole book of Ephesians is, how do we do life together in this multi-ethnic family where now our political beliefs no longer divide us, our skin color no longer divides us, our ethnic diversity no longer divides us, nothing divides us, we are now one in Jesus. Is there any coincidence? And then he goes into different relationships that this oneness is lived out through marriages, co workers, and parents and children. What's Ephesians chapter 6? Spiritual warfare. And we treat spiritual warfare like this kind of like there's demons flying around everywhere. That's kind of how we treat it. But in context of Ephesians, the whole narrative is there's a multi-ethnic family where all of us, no matter where we came from, no matter our background, no matter our skin color, no matter our political belief, all of us are one together in Jesus. And so now in Ephesians 6, he says, having done all to stand, stand, stand against what? Fiery darts. This is my belief, and there are lots of scholars that carry it with me, including N.T. Wright, who's one of my favorites, a fiery dart and spiritual warfare are entirely centered around thought patterns that are political, racial, socioeconomic divisions between the body. A fiery dart is anything that separates you from me. A fiery dart is anything that starts to divide us because you see politics one way and I see it another way. You know what else I want to happen here? Every single political divider in this that could exist in this room, that it would fall in this family. Because can I tell you something? This is where the church is going. This is where we're going. What did Jesus pray right before he goes to the cross? He says, Father, the glory that I have, that you've given me, I give them. What do we think that glory does? We say a lot of things about the glory of God. But this glory, it'd be given them that what? 
that they would be one, even as I and the Father are one. So to Jesus, the glory of God being manifested is not even majored on your identification with God. It is your identification with me and my identification with you because you know what we don't talk about? This is where it all gets uncomfortable in a lot of conversations because if you identify with Jesus, that also means you identify with me. If I identify with Jesus, I have to identify with you, which is why we say things lots of times like, if you win, I win. If you lose, I lose. Your fight is my fight. No, that's literal because you are a part of me and I am a part of you. We are parts of each other in this oneness, which is why, by the way, guys, you never have to be offended by insults because everything that someone is saying to you is just a reflection of what they think about them. No, no, like this is literal though. This is so literal. We are that connected to the point where I am a mirror of you. How you see me, meaning if you don't like me, you just don't like a part of yourself. Seriously. And you can always accept that. Whenever somebody comes at you and says, you know what you are, you're this, you're that, you're this, it, it, you can just kind of be like, wow, that's really what they think about themselves. <laughs> like that's full blown what you think about yourself because that's why Jesus is able to say, if they receive you, they receive me. Why don't we talk about that very much when it comes to salvation? What? If they receive you, they receive Jesus? If you embrace me, if I embrace you, I'm embracing a part of God. Can I tell you something though? That's why this family, you, you, we cannot be divided at this time. You cannot, because you wanna know what? It will kill you. Is it any coincidence in communion the whole time he's addressing, he's saying, the rich people are separating from the poor people as if your, your, as if your status financially separates you. And because you're not discerning the body, it's the only time Paul's ever saying, this is why people are sick. There's something, this is all I'll say, this is something, there's something very deadly about isolating yourself and separating yourself from people because you are separating yourself from a part of yourself. If we realize how connected we are, man, if we realize, if, if, if the mask was to come off right now and we were to see what we are, that everyone in this room is completely equal, no one's more important than another person, that we are all here for each other. We literally carry each other's burdens which is why if I'm a part of you, you need me to flourish. I need you to flourish because if you don't flourish, I'm not completely flourishing. If you're carrying bitterness in a relationship to your parent, that's a reflection of me. This thing goes so deep. This thing goes so, 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 so deep. All of us are so much more connected than we know which is why, again, we offer things like life groups. All I'm trying to say is communion. I believe what COVID has done is to bring the church back to its origins. How it grew was not necessarily from pulpit to pulpit, but from table to table, from conversation to conversation, which we lack so much of, by the way, because we choose to have all our battles and conversations over a keyboard whole nother thing when you sit down with me and eat some of my mushroom crepes with me. You didn't like mushroom crepes. I'd change your life with my mushroom crepes. That's what I'm saying. It's a whole nother thing. And this is why the church, again, they broke bread from house to house. This is the, the table is the symbol of Christianity that must return to it in 2020. We've majored on the cross, but we've forgotten the table. The table is the greatest act of spiritual violence that you can perpetuate towards spiritual enemies that you cannot see. Yeah. 
Because it is the killer of division. It is the killer of isolation because now I can no longer label you from afar. See, if I don't know you and I don't know your story, I can label you by how you believe about politics. I can label you by your skin color. I can label you by whatever I want to label you. But the second I sit down with you, no, now this is person to person. A part of me to a part of you. And now every time we take from this table, this is why I encourage you, if you can get a meal with the community once a week, it will change your life. If it, if it doesn't work, then you can come to me in three months and be like, yeah, you, that was super, that didn't, that's not true. That's why I, I pray that something that dies in the West is the belief that it can just be you and Jesus and that's, it's no one else. That, that, do we see how that's just a reflection of our culture, that our culture is, is hyper-individualistic, and so now we're able to say, even though it was always a family of Jesus followers who did life together in the way of Jesus, now we're able to say, no, I don't need people, it's just me and Jesus. No, we are dividing ourselves from ourselves. It's that deep. So to finish, all I want to do is I want to practice you know where this becomes more of a reality is in a place of stillness. I just want to take five minutes and I just want to lead you just through some breathing together. Because no matter what you say, you can, we can claim to be as divided as we want to, but we all speak the same name every moment of our lives. All of us. No matter our political beliefs, no matter how we see the world in this place, Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector can both follow Jesus together. If you would, church, and I purposely, I don't want any musicians behind me right now. If we could just breathe together. Just take a big deep breath in. And just a big exhale out. Allow yourself to become completely present. Feel the weight of your feet on the floor and the chair supporting you. And we're gonna be completely silent for four minutes. And for some of us, it's gonna be super awkward, but just do it with me.
gets uncomfortable, doesn't it? But when you practice this a lot, you find that eternity exists in every moment. There's no point in boxing old moments and there's no point in boxing future moments because everything you could ever want is right here, right now. If we were to stay still long enough, I guarantee we'd have some really crazy, 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 crazy healings. I tried to do it last night, but I just felt like the five o'clock was just like, I was thinking about just going 30 minutes with you guys today and just not saying anything and just sitting here and looking at everybody and just see how long you could last. <laughs> but I watch. There's some of us like three minutes in, like how many minutes we got left? It's really good. Uh, something I'd encourage you to do is try practicing that three to five times a week in the morning. I, I'd encourage you 15 minutes of silence. It'll change your life. I'm serious. And it's not that it's a method. It's that literally your being, you're practicing the promise of the gospel in being. And you're going to think about your to-do lists and you're going to think about all the things you got to do. But it's like, wait a minute. I'm enough as I am being completely silent. I'm completely enough. If you want another practice, this is why spiritual practices are really good. There's one called simplicity of speech where purposely three times a day when you want to say something, be completely quiet. Watch how you throw people. It's insane. Like just in the middle of a conversation because lots of times we want to say something to prove that we're something. Either it's to impress somebody or it's to make yourself look good. But imagine the next time you want to impress somebody, just be completely quiet. Oh, hey, how you doing? But you know what you discover? You, you really discover you're enough as you are. We just don't realize what we are, man. We don't realize it. I want to pray for you. I hope you enjoyed this message. And all I pray, I just pray that God gets bigger to you. If even if it's a little bit bigger, then... That's all I could ask for. God, I just pray for everyone in this room that you would experience what you are, that you would learn to trust what you are. Some of us, I, I got a feeling in the room, I got some of us who are dealing with like some like sexual brokenness. Really, all I'd ask you to believe is just start to believe more in how pure you are. You're really pure, but a lot of us don't believe it. Just believe it. Rest in it. You're completely pure. And God, I just thank you for who you are, that you speak to us in the stillness, that we would be a church and a family that is free from division in any kind of way, that we would be, we would stand as a church. Having done all to stand, that we would stand against any kind of divider, any kind of thought pattern that would divide us from each other. We are one people, one body. And I pray that we would see it we would recognize it in a way that we never had before. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. amen. amen.